And welcome back everyone, this is Greg Reverdio with the High Altitude Training Institute and today we're recording episode 3 and we're going to continue what we talked about last week in episode 2, the importance of uh, gaining your motivation again and we talked about a few things, a few tips about how to uh, mix it up a little bit and and get back in a good mood and and get back in a running mood. And this week we want to continue, we have a few more tips and um, basically three different things we want to talk about. One of them is overtraining and the importance of recognizing when that happens. We want to talk about following the wrong kind of training plan, which I'm sure some of you have done, I'm sure I have. And also, the last thing is we'll talk a little bit about what Jack Daniels um, calls the uh, principle of diminishing return. So, we'll get it started. Tom and uh, John are joining us again this week. Uh, Tom, I think you got a little bit of a surprise today when you, uh, you went out on your run, right? Yeah, about uh, three inches of fresh snowfall when we were just supposed to have a, a little dusting. Yeah, and it was uh, actually uh, John and I were visiting Tom last week and beautiful summer temperatures in the middle of November and uh, snow today. And actually my temperatures here in Prescott dropped considerably today as well. But I think, John, you're still, uh, still pretty much in uh, good temperatures, right? No surprises in Florida. It was about uh, 80 degrees and sunny. That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about overtraining and what happens when you start getting really tired every single day. Your your legs are just shot. Your legs are heavy. I know it's happened to me in the past where I I just went too hard at it. I felt really, really good. And then all of a sudden, it's like just no more power, no more anything. You try, you keep trying, and it just doesn't work. So one of the things that you really want to do at that stage is is maybe just take a day off. Some some people don't like taking a day off, but sometimes it's really, really necessary. So, Tom, I think you, you had like a few things that you want to talk about this topic. Yeah, I do. And I think as, as runners, we're generally pretty type A personalities, and a lot of us are, are very numbers-oriented. And so we have a weekly mileage goal that we want to hit, or we have a set number of workouts that we want to run, and feel good about before we get to our goal race and sometimes we start looking at hitting that mileage target or those workouts as a goal in and of itself and you know you got to focus on the big picture rather than just you know getting your miles in for that day I was actually at the track last night and uh, saw a high school tennis team that got me thinking about this topic myself and they were out there you're running laps on the track just like I was. They were doing burpees and sit-ups and push-ups. And they were doing that all with an end goal in mind. Their goal is to be the fittest person on that tennis court when the third set comes around and that game's going to be decided. And I think that as runners, we can do a lot to think that same way, that our end goal is to be as fit as possible on race day so that we can execute our race plan. It's not necessarily to hit a workout six weeks before your race, but that's going to leave your legs feeling dead tired for the next three days and, you know, provide you diminishing returns over the long run. I, I agree with that. And, and also I think to add to what you just said, um, sometimes too much mileage um, at once 
will create the same effect where it's really not bringing you anything anymore or trying to hit every single workout so hard that you basically don't have any legs for the rest of the week. An easy run is an easy run. Go ahead and hit it on those workout days but not on those easy run days. So. But I think also, speaking of mileage, um, increasing your mileage too quickly can also be um, uh, be detrimental to your training. And and John, I think you and I discussed this uh, in the past where we have two different techniques of increasing mileage, which I don't think either is right or wrong. It just depends on the person and, and how you like to do it. So tell us a little bit more about how you increase your mileage. Yeah, I think this is one of those uh, situations where there's lots of different answers that are probably okay, depending on your body type and what you can handle. Um, And so there's a little bit of maybe experimentation to figure out what works for you. Um, I do have to say, I've seen more injuries from, uh, actually you mentioned pace before. I mean, those are the two things that I see people get injured or just, uh, you know, hold back their training, either because they're running too hard, they're not running the right pace at the right time. As you said, you got to make your hard days hard and your easy days easy. And I think that's, a, uh, you know, talking about pace is the topic of a whole other podcast, but pace is certainly one, but mileage is the next biggest one. It's the quickest way to get injured. Um, if you just suddenly jump up your mileage too quickly, there's a method to it that you need to stick with. What I do personally is I try to take what my kind of base comfortable mileage is, and I might do that based on the last four or five months, uh, you know, long period of time. I'll look at that and I'll say, what do I want to hit? What weekly mileage peak do I need to be hitting for this particular race? That value might be different if it's a half marathon versus a marathon, or if I'm trying to run a fast 5k. And so what I typically do is I'll say, okay, I might be running, I'll just take some numbers here, 60 miles a week, pretty consistently. I'm going to run a half marathon and I think I should be running 75 to 80 miles a week. And what I'll do to get to that point is I'll typically increase. um, And there's a lot of discussion uh, among experts about how much you can increase each time. I think a percentage does make sense, but the percentage might change a little bit if you're running 20 miles a week versus if you're running 60 miles a week. But in any case, I think it's pretty safe to increase by some reasonable percentage over maybe two to three weeks. And what I do for me personally, that I think works very well is I'll always take either the third or the fourth week and I'll drop the mileage back down. And I think that gives your body a chance to recover. And usually the way I'll do that is whatever my long run is, I'll back that off quite a bit. If I'm marathon training and I've been running 18 and 20 mile long runs, I'll usually back all the way down to something like 14 miles. And that might be enough to back your mileage off to give your body a chance to recover. And then when you come back, you'll start back uh, where you left off. And that way you can keep building the mileage, but every third or fourth week, you give your body a chance to recover. And for me, I think it's also a mental thing, knowing that you have to go out there and run these grueling 18, 20, 22, maybe even 24 milers for a marathon. Thinking about that every single week, it starts to take a toll on you mentally. And so I think having that third or fourth week where you can kind of say, oh, wow, I only have a 14-miler this week, you know, uh, I think it helps you mentally to to stay on track and to stay motivated. I've seen this uh, this approach I've seen with a Hanson uh, marathon training plan, which I have done for two or three races and I really like that they go up they get the very long run well not very long actually because that's kind of what they do but they get a long run and then go back down a little bit Uh, me personally I actually increase my mileage every week just a little bit and then uh, just do a a very gradual increase of mileage but I do like the approach that you have John of, of maybe being a little bit more increased but then eventually going back down 
In terms of, uh, of Jack Daniels, he likes to wait for a few weeks, keep the same mileage for about four weeks, and then at the end of that, start increasing the mileage based on actually how many runs you do per week. So if you run, he says, six, miles, six times a week, you basically increase your mileage by six miles that every four weeks. And so that's another way of looking at it. So again, it's kind of whatever works for you and you've got to really adapt. Another thing that's very important, kind of related to overtraining, is um, running and training when you're sick or when you're injured. And that's really something you have to pay attention to. Your, your body cannot handle the effort and, uh, and the, the distance. And, and sometimes just running while you're injured or even when you're sick can make things a lot worse um, in the long run. <laughs> no pun intended. But I, I, I have one, one example of what, something that I did that was very stupid, uh, which I, I trained for an Ironman for many, many months, completed the Ironman, and then felt really good at the end of it. I mean, took a couple of days off and then decided that I was going to go back to training for, I think it was a half marathon, and uh, didn't take enough time off. I should have taken probably at least two weeks off completely and just do some very easy stuff, and I didn't. And I got injured, and I paid for it because um, I basically was grounded for about three months with uh, an ankle injury that I uh, nurtured for a while and then I would feel better and then eventually get back uh, and try the ankle again and didn't work and then I would wait another week and then go back and then it didn't work and I just kept doing that and and I could have stopped for maybe two weeks completely not do anything and probably get back very healthy but I didn't so Learn from my mistakes. Don't do it. Don't do it when you're sick. Don't do it when you're injured. When you're sick, your body is just drained and you don't have the energy to do it. Your form is going to change. Everything is going to change. That's a great way to get injured. So, John, I think you have some uh, some tips as well for running when you're sick or injured. Yeah, and I think mostly it's a, it's a serious warning is what it is because we all tend to be hard-headed or a lot of us tend to be hard-headed. And there was a specific instance for me in my training where I'd had really bad plantar fasciitis uh, in one of my feet. <clears throat> and I just, for whatever reason, thought it was going to be a good idea to run. Uh, I ran a very hard 15K. Uh, two weeks later, I came back and ran a 10K uh, on Thanksgiving on Thursday. And then I ran a half marathon that Sunday a few days later. And it's my only DNF. Um, the, the pain got so bad that I actually injured something else uh, in my leg. And if I had just taken some, you know, taken a little bit of time off and recognized, hey, this is a serious injury and recognized it for what it was and taken some time off, I probably would have missed maybe a couple weeks. And I think I, you know, I probably could have come back from it because I'd figured out some stretching things and some things were actually making my PF better. And that was probably a bad thing for me because I was making it slightly better and it was giving me hope. And then I just kept training really hard and running all these races. And it finally got to the point where I couldn't, I couldn't run at all anymore. It was the most painful injury. It's actually the only serious injury that I've ever had. And I missed a solid, it was about three months total. Um, which was a horrible time for me, you know, in, in 12 years, there's never been another time that I've ever taken more than, you know, a week off, <clears throat> except for that time when I was really seriously injured. And so that was really difficult for me mentally. And then of course, if you look at the big picture in the, <clears throat> in the long run, 
you're definitely hurting your training overall. You think you think you're being tough and you're you know you're still hitting your weekly mileage and you're going for these these race goals and and you think things are on track, but unfortunately in the long term you're making yourself worse. If if you would have just take the time off and come back to it, you would have come back and been you know been at the point that you wanted to be at much much sooner. So I think what you have to do is look at the big picture and say, hey, look, is this a serious injury or not? If it's a serious injury, I need to take time off if I want to become a stronger runner in the future. Otherwise, it's going to be a bigger setback, uh, in, you know, in the long run. And so I think you just have to look at it and make a smart determination. That's the type A for uh, most runners right there and that don't want to do that. But um, and, and so since we're talking about, you know, what do you do when you need to take a step back? I think cutting out on the workouts is, is a good thing. Maybe for a week, you just go ahead and just do easy runs. Go ahead and, and don't look at your watch. Maybe you go run without the watch. Don't look at the pace. Just do whatever feels good and, um, and then go back to it and, and, and try to do a workout again. And uh, I think, Tom, you've got, you've got a few things you want to say about that. Well, yeah, and uh, like John, I've actually had my own issues with uh, plantar fasciitis and, you know, honestly still ongoing for about the past year or so. And, you know, it an injury like that can definitely start to drain your motivation, become a, a real drag every time you even think about getting out there and going running. And, you know, for me, a lot of times, you know, if I think I have to go to the track and, and run a workout and I'm going to have to put flats on and I just know how much that's going to aggravate my foot and how much it's going to hurt and the pain that I'll feel the next few days afterward, you know, in the end, I'm not doing myself any benefits. Um, you know, I'm only going to make subsequent runs more painful and make it harder and harder to get out the door and fulfill my training plan, you know, if I were to go and follow through on that workout. But I know that I have plenty of nice soft trails out behind my office. So just throw on a pair of trainers, get out, enjoy the scenery, and uh, go for a nice easy run, maintain fitness. And in the end, even though I feel like I'm not working as hard or you know giving it 110%, it's actually better for me and helping my body heal in the long run. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a really smart thing. And I think we learn to do this with experience after we get injured once then we realize how much it sucks and we really don't want to do it anymore last thing i'll mention about this topic of overtraining is uh talk to someone who knows what they're doing talk to a coach and i'm going to do a shameless plug here but uh, we offer coaching services and uh, and we've studied all this we've got years of experience running getting injured for some of us and doing the wrong thing so let us help you figure out what you should be doing and stay away from uh, sitting on the couch and watching everybody else run. That's just not fun. So check out the website, uh, www.altitude.run. We've got some uh, really good offers for coaching. So talking of training plans, actually, that's a great transition. A lot of people really don't know how to start. And I was the first one when I started running. Um, found something online hey here's a catch to 5k or whatever it is training plan and and that works maybe for some people when you first start but after a while you really have to figure out something very specific for you and so following the wrong training plan can really hurt your training in the long run get injured and and that can happen if you decide that you want to go for an elite training plan when you're a beginner and uh, or or picking out a 5k training plan to complete a marathon 
it's sometimes there's a good point where you need to reevaluate what it is that you're doing with your training plan. And, and I think, Tom, you've got some, uh, some ideas about that as well. Well, yeah, I think uh, you kind of hit a good point there about incrementalizing training. Um, you know, I've been prone myself to maybe biting off a little more than I can chew or having uh, too big a dreams, so to say. You know, for the first handful of years I was running the marathon, each subsequent race was one PR after another. And then eventually I got to a point where I decided my next marathon I was going to make about a 10-minute jump. And, you know, while I think it was a reasonable goal, it was still a stretch goal. It would have taken a perfect training cycle, perfect conditions on race day, a perfectly executed race plan. And as we all know, that's not likely to happen. So it really just led to to disappointment in the end to say, I want this 10-minute increase in my PR or I'm not going to be happy. So you can set a few different goals and and maybe try to take them in smaller chunks because then you just have a carrot that's dangling in front of you, but it's a little nearer than, you know, say, a huge PR or, or winning a race when you're currently, you know, only placing top 10. I think... Um, you know, finding some smaller goals to focus on is, is definitely a good motivator. John, you had some ideas as well. Yeah, I think, you know, to Tom's point, I think he ended up with a goal that uh, might have been achievable, but, but was definitely a stretch. And for me personally, <clears throat> I've pretty much always had a coach looking over me, uh, watching over what I'm doing in terms of mileage, training, pace. And I think that's important. Um, you know, as runners, I think it's easy to get out on the web and find some training plans and, uh, you know, look at it and, and think that you know exactly what you should do and think that you have everything figured out. And it's not that you can't, uh, you know, look at a training plan and figure out what a person should do to, to meet their goals, but you need somebody from the outside looking in because you can't, you're not as good at evaluating yourself as someone else might be at evaluating you, or, or even if they're not as good, they may have a perspective that, that you don't have. And I think, I think having a coach, uh, a good coach, right. You know, I mean, someone that, that, that knows what they're doing, but, but having a coach and having someone that's watching over what you're doing on your training is important because you can get yourself off on a path. And again, this is, this is really following the wrong training plan, but you can get yourself off on a path where you're either following a completely wrong training plan or you're training beyond what you should be doing right now, or training under what you should be doing right now. I've seen both. I've seen people that, you know, their, their workouts are just crazy easy because that's just what they think they should run. And if they had a coach looking at them, they'd be saying, well, wow, look at your 5K time. If you go to a pace chart, you should be running a heck of a lot faster than this. And, you know, from when, when you're judging yourself, I think it's different. I think you do need someone else uh, at least to kind of sanity check what the heck you're doing. I mean, we all do that. I mean, you know, we, we talk about the amount of studying we've done uh, on running and training and how long we've been coached and all these kind of things. But I'm still not arrogant enough to think that I can handle all my own uh, coaching for, you know, for, for myself personally. Uh, you know, I have a lot of people that, that I talk to. And for the majority of my time, I've been going to, a, you know, going to a track or to a training location and physically having a coach there uh, <clears throat> tell me what my workout is, tell me what, what my paces are, that kind of thing. And I think that's a good way to do it because then you're not personally just trying to figure out everything on your own. And I think you'll miss stuff about yourself. 
I want to bring up another topic related to the wrong training plan, and, and maybe it is uh, related to your diet. And for me, a diet is a way of eating. That's really the way I define a diet. And, uh, and whatever works for you is good. You know, you, there are people that need to eat meat. There are people that don't want to eat meat. And, that's, and, um, and there's a whole spectrum in between. But I think you need to see what your diet is doing for your uh, running. And, and sometimes uh, we make changes to our diet, and I know I did in the past, and it has hurt my running, it has hurt my performance. And I think, John, you've got a, you've got a good example of something that you tried, um, was it last year, I think? Yeah, it was, uh, it was actually right about the beginning of this year. I wanted to go vegan, and I tried that for a while, and it didn't seem to be working very well for me. So then I kind of dropped back and punted and said, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to do just do vegetarian. And I was pretty, uh, I, w- I was actually really uh, good about it, um, stuck, stuck to the diet like I should have. And what I found was all of a sudden I was just crazy drained. My workouts, I, I was failing an unbelievable number of workouts, which had never happened to me before. I mean, uh, just just nothing like that in, in any of the years that I had ran. And I kept looking back and saying, you know, why is this happening? And, and what happened to me a number of times is I would have a certain workout that was supposed to be X number of repetitions. And I was constantly just drained halfway through it. And I'd start mentally saying, oh, uh, you know, I'm going to cut this. I was supposed to do eight mile repeats. I'm only going to do six. And, and it was everything I could do just to do that six. And I finally realized that it had to be related to my diet because that was really the only thing that had drastically changed. And so I, I personally, I believe it was protein. I think that's it. And you absolutely can find good ways to get protein on a vegetarian diet. But for me, that wasn't working. It turns out I'm very allergic to soy, so I couldn't do tofu. There were some, you know, I had a lot of other allergies and considerations. And, and so for me, I had to make changes. Um, and, I, and I wasn't able to stick to it, even though there were, for me personally, there were good reasons why I wanted to stick to it. And um, now I went to a lot of moderation, uh, you know, definitely changed the amount of, of meat and things that I was consuming. Um, again, I'm not trying to, to be an advocate for one way or another. For me personally, that's that's what I thought, and I wanted to do that. And I had to bail on it because my running was was really suffering from it. It's a very personal choice, and, and it works for some people, and it doesn't for others. And that's really the bottom line. But uh, Tom, you're, uh, you're mostly vegan. Anything that you want to add? Uh, yeah, I think John's completely right that any diet can, can work for success in running it it really just is a, a personal thing and for me you know like you said uh i'm mostly vegan i for a while had tried going completely vegan and you know actually got kind of militaristic about my diet so to say and you know counting calories and, and making sure i was getting the right sort of nutrients in but it actually ended up to be detrimental to my performance, you know, I thought if I could continue to get leaner and continue to lose weight, that, you know, the diet was going to work and it was going to make me faster. But in the end, I really just ended up losing strength and probably being a little underweight, which, you know, that's an entirely different topic that we can get into what your correct racing weight is. But it was detrimental to my performance. And not to mention, I'm someone who just loves food and I, I really love to eat and it was wearing on uh, my mental state so I think we all know a long run is a lot better when you have a big glass of chocolate milk or a, a big omelet or something waiting for you at the end and so 
whatever it is that you enjoy eating and makes you happy, definitely keep it in your diet. There's, there's no sense in holding yourself to one specific diet just because, you know, so-and-so does it or it's, it's supposedly the right thing to do. Foods is a very, very personal choice. Yep, that's that, I think that's spot on right there. Not because somebody else said it, then you should do it. I want to bring another topic about uh, the training plan because that happened to me actually this training season is um, adjusting your training plan if you're training in the heat or training at altitude. And this is way more than uh, you know two minutes talking about this. We'll do an entire podcast actually talking about this. But for me, I found out that I, um, I had set my goal uh, to a certain pace and a certain time for the half marathon and I started training at altitude I'm at 5500 feet where I live and uh, I was getting on the track and I couldn't hit those workouts they were just too fast for what I needed to do so I did a little bit of thinking I talked to a few people and uh, realized that I was training way over what my goal should be and so I went back and figured out that instead of training for the time that I wanted I was actually training for about three or four minutes faster on a half marathon which is a pretty big gap uh, for uh, for my pace and so what I did is I actually uh, adjusted my, uh, my training plan to be slower. And what I found is I was hitting those workouts just the way I should be hitting them. I was hurting, but yet I could finish every single one of them. And it turns out the, the test that I did, the few tests that I did at, at sea level, uh, turned out that that was the right adjustment. That was the right thing to do. And I, and I don't train in the heat or the humidity, but I know, John, you do. And I think you, you do something similar to uh, adjust your, uh, your training plans. I do. I mean, I don't. I don't know that there's a magic uh, formula. Possibly, you can scale it the way you did with altitude, just based on you know, say, hey, maybe I need to take it down two V dots on the you know on the pace charts. Um, but some of it is run by feel. I don't typically advocate uh, run by feel uh, because you can show up on race day and not feel well, and then you won't perform well. Uh, but in the case of heat, it's difficult to quantify because you have things. Uh, you have both the temperature and the humidity, and sure, there's a heat index, but even that's difficult to really understand how much that's going to affect your running. So for me, uh, a lot of times what I end up doing when it's super crazy hot and, uh, you know, I either didn't get out there at the right time and, and, you know, you really start hurting, typically I'll shorten the workout. Now for, for altitude, I know Greg adjusts the pace and I will do that in some cases for the heat as well. Uh, but, but more than anything, I think your body starts to overheat. Um, and you get to a point where, you know, you, you've, you've reached your core temperature has reached a certain point and sweating doesn't work because it's so humid outside. And so once you get to that point, you've just overheated and you're not going to be able to push yourself anymore, or you're going to push yourself dangerously close to something like a heat stroke. I've gotten to the point where I've run either workouts or races and I start to feel the top of my head tingle. I start to feel my hands tingle and I'm clearly pushing it to the point where I'm getting close to, to actually having some, you know, some heat sickness there. And so you don't want to get to that point. Don't be stupid like me. You need to do something better than that. Um, and so, and so for me, uh, you know, if I was supposed to do, uh, you know, again, maybe eight reps, I'll, I'll cut it back to something like six, you know, I'll, I'll just try to make a, a slight adjustment if it's crazy hot. And then if you do happen to get them, you know, the, you get out there in the morning and you get, you get, lucky and there's a there's a nice uh, nice temperature that morning but by all means you know hit, nail that workout and uh and and do it to the best of your ability 
The last point I want to bring up is something that Jack Daniels calls the uh, principle of diminishing return. And it's a very simple principle, which basically says that when you start running, a very little increase in the training intensity is going to result in a lot of fitness gain. And uh, the more you go and the faster you get and the more work you have to do in order to chunk those few seconds. So you have to be aware of that. If you're a brand new runner, you're going to start and, and you're going to get a PR pretty much every single time up to the point where it's going to slow down. And, and that's when you need to realize that every little bit of gain is going to be a lot of hard work. And some people get discouraged because they don't understand the principle of diminishing return. So keep that in the back of your mind. As you start getting faster, um, you, you're going to hit a plateau at one point and then you're going to hit a point where you need to work very hard. I think, Tom, you've got something you want to add to that. Well, yeah, and it uh, definitely hits home with me. Uh, I remember when I first started with uh, the training group that I ran with in Orlando uh, with John and some others, and within the first few months of training with that group, I took over two minutes off of my 5K PR, and all of a sudden I started thinking, hey, I'm, uh, I'm pretty good and, you know, getting, you know, Olympic dreams in my eyes when... You know, that's that's not really quite how it works. And I, I learned that over the next year as it, it took me a year to drop the next 30 seconds off of my 5K. And, you know, if if you're willing to accept that and willing to understand that, you know, as you get faster, it's going to take harder and harder work to cut, frankly, less time off your uh, your previous PRs, then, then that's okay. But... Um, you know, I think understanding that it's it's going to get more difficult the faster you go um, is important. And, you know, you need to be able to set smaller, more incremental goals, kind of like I hinted at earlier, and even maybe set some goals outside of what your main goal is. Say if you're like John, who, you know, really has this specific 5K goal that he wants to hit, you know, don't constantly beat your head against the wall you know, working at that, maybe throw in a marathon, throw in a half marathon to freshen things up because, you know, maybe you can make a bigger gain in that, keep your motivation up, and then go back to the 5K training. To Tom's point, <clears throat> I think that's that's really good advice because I remember at the beginning of my training, I could do almost, uh, you know, very, very little work. And every time you went out, it was another 5K PR. And then as time goes on, it gets harder and harder. And I started to do exactly what Tom said. I would target a very specific distance, which would change my training. Um, and so, you know, for one season, I might decide I'm going to train specifically for a half marathon. And what I found that that did for me is when I changed my training to a half marathon, I got overall stronger. So then when I went back and went back to 5k training, my 5k times came down as well. And so now granted, I was busting my butt. I worked very, very hard and I've been lucky enough to at least at one distance, I've set a PR every year for the last 12 years. A lot of cases, it was more than one distance, but every every single year, I've had a PR. Now, I've been fortunate that I've only had that one serious injury, and uh, you know, and, and obviously, I'm putting in a lot of time and effort and work into it. But I think targeting a different distance and kind of rotating through, um, you know, a lot of people once they quote unquote, graduate to the marathon, they never want to go back and do the shorter races. And I think that's a mistake. I think there's a time where it might be good for you to say, 
hey, I'm going to try to set a 5K PR. It's, it's just because it's a shorter race doesn't mean that it's not any, you know, that it's any less important. If you run a super fast 5K, that there should be a lot of respect there, just like there would be for running a fast marathon. And so I think rotating through the distances can have an advantage to your overall training. And actually, it's funny. I was telling you yep, last you week that I want to run a 5K. I haven't run a 5K seriously in, since 2012. I think it's been four years. So uh, I think I'm overdue and I want to, I want to see what I can do on the 5K. But so with <laughs> so with that being said i think we've we've covered quite a bit of information here to uh, to get you guys motivated and back on track don't forget to follow us on uh, itunes or on soundcloud where we uh, post the podcast and uh, let us know what topic you want to hear for the next podcast we have uh, we have a list of uh, topic that we think we want to cover but if somebody has uh, something they want to hear about we are we're, we'll be excited to uh, to cover it we just had a big announcement uh, yesterday where we picked eight athletes to uh, to be coached for free, actually. Uh, we've, we've got some really good candidates, and uh, we'll keep you posted on our progress, and make sure you uh, like the Facebook page so you get the updates. John, Tom, thanks for uh, joining us, and uh, we'll uh, see you all next week for a new topic. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thanks, everyone.